Good morning, everyone. And uh, it is my privilege to be here this morning, and I bring you greetings in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, for those of you who weren't here uh, two days ago when Presbytery was uh, in session and we adopted the resolution of thanks, I did want to thank you all on behalf of uh, Presbytery for being such uh, wonderful and gracious hosts, uh, for all of the delicious food and for the uh, families that um, had people stay in their homes. It was truly a blessing and we're thankful for you all. Of course, if we looked farther upstream to the source of that generosity, it would be uh, the Lord Jesus Christ from whom all blessings flow. And so what a privilege it is to be a part of the body of Christ and to be ministered to by the body of Christ. Well, the saints in uh, Manhattan, Kansas also uh, send you their greetings and uh, they are looking forward to having Derek Moore preach to them this morning. And it's my privilege uh, this morning to bring God's word to you here in uh, Shawnee. And so please open in your copies of God's word to the book of Ephesians. Whenever you do a, a pulpit supply or a pulpit swap, there's always the question of what sermon are you going to bring? Uh, do you go to one of your favorite sermons? Do you go to a simple gospel message? Do you try to find a sermon, uh, something that they might particularly need to hear? Well, I decided to forego all those questions and simply preach to you what I uh, preach uh, to the church in Manhattan last week and trust that the Lord would use his word. So if you would turn in your uh, copies of God's word in the book of Ephesians to chapter 6, and we'll be considering verses 1 through 3 this morning. To give you a little bit of a sense of where we are in the book of Ephesians, Ephesians is uh, basically divided into two halves. The first three uh, chapters tell you who you are in Christ by faith, that by faith in Christ you are saints. That's how the whole epistle begins. You are set apart, declared to be holy unto the Lord. The Lord be, sorry, the epistle begins in Ephesians 1 verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus. And we see in the first uh, half of the book of Ephesians that all of this is true uh, because we are joined to Christ by faith. And we see the Trinitarian work of uh, God's blessing us, the Father choosing and predestining us, the Son redeeming us by his blood and giving us an inheritance in heaven, and the Spirit sealing us and guaranteeing to us that inheritance which Christ obtained by his blood. We also see the same uh, resurrection power which raised Christ from the dead working in us to make us alive. And we also see that the death of Christ opened the way for the Gentiles to be brought near by faith so that we all are becoming a living temple unto the Lord, a place where God himself dwells. And so all of that is already true of those who believe in Christ to save them from their sin. But then we get to the second half of the book of Ephesians, and Paul is going to go on to tell us, as a result of everything that is true of who we are in Christ, 
then this is how we should live as a result of that. So he says that these uh, things that he says in the second half are good works which God prepared beforehand so that we should walk in them. And therefore, the, the first part of the second half of Ephesians, you have what I like to call the walking section of Ephesians. Five times Paul says, walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk. Walk in love. Walk as children of light. Walk not as unwise men, but as wise. So we have that walking section of how we are to walk then as children of God. But then we come to the section that uh, we are in this morning. And in Ephesians 5.22, we get to what I call the household code section of Ephesians. And that gives us uh, specific instructions for wives and husbands, for children and parents, and for bond servants and masters. And this morning we'll be considering specifically the duties of children to their parents. So give your attention now to the reading of God's perfect word. But before we do come to his word again, let's once again ask for his help and blessing. Let's pray with me, if you will. Heavenly Father, we uh, come to your word, and we know that apart from your Holy Spirit, uh, that this word will simply fall to the ground, and the seed that is sown will be snatched up by the birds of the air. Lord, we pray that you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would cause the imperishable seed to be sown deep within our hearts. Lord, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. We pray that you would give us this Sabbath day, a double portion of that manna that comes from heaven. We ask that you would bless us richly, open our eyes and our ears to see wonderful things in your word. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Ephesians 6, verses 1 through 3, these are the living words of the living God. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. Amen, and may God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Well, children, it's not every day that the word of God singles you out and speaks to you specifically, is it? I wonder, children, if your ears perhaps perked up when you heard Paul addressing you specifically in our scripture reading this morning. Well, before we do get into uh, the text this morning, I do want you to know, children and everyone, that Every time you hear the word, the word is truly speaking to you. Even if it doesn't say children, the same goes with all of us, that when the word of God comes to us, it has application for all the people of God. I do know that for many of you children, perhaps some parts of sermons may be uh, difficult for you to understand. But some of you children may have uh, younger uh, 
brothers or sisters or even baby brothers or sisters. And when you sit down for dinner, your parents bring out the food and they set it on the table. And there may be some food that your uh, baby brother or baby sister can't eat because they don't yet have teeth. There may be some food that you are not yet able to enjoy because you don't, do not yet have a taste for it. But at the end of the meal, doesn't everyone get fed with what they can eat? And friends, it's the same thing with a sermon. Your, your pastors try to lay before you a feast from God's word, and everyone should try to eat as much as they are able to. Or children, it would uh, be the same uh, as when you read a long book or perhaps watch a movie. And often you don't understand everything that's going on, and yet you understand what's appropriate for your age. And it's the same with a sermon. And so children, even if you don't understand everything in every sermon, I encourage you to listen and to tell your parents what you learned on the way home from church, which is what we ask our children to do on the way home. What does everyone remember from the sermon? And we're often surprised at what they pick up on. Well, broadly speaking, this passage here in Ephesians 6, verses 1 through 3, is a passage about the fifth commandment, to honor your father and your mother. And just as an aside, isn't it interesting that not only is this passage in Ephesians addressed specifically to the children, but even one of the Ten Commandments was addressed specifically to children. So the idea that uh, the children of believers are not a part of the people of God or that they are not called to listen to and respond to God's word is entirely foreign to the scriptures. We know from Deuteronomy 6 verse 7 that God... Uh, commanded the parents to teach these words to their children. So children, never think that you can ignore the scripture when we read it. And never think that the, the scripture isn't speaking directly to you. It is. And parents, don't think that your children don't need to listen to scripture as much as you also need to listen to scripture. So this passage is about the fifth commandment to honor your father and your mother. And children, you know that uh, when the Lord appeared to Moses on Mount Sinai, uh, that the Lord gave Moses ten commandments written on two tablets or tables of stone. First commandment, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. Commandment two, you shall not make any image of God. Commandment three, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Commandment four, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Commandment five, honor your father and your mother. Commandment six, you shall not murder. Commandment seven, you shall not commit adultery. Commandment eight, you shall not steal. Commandment nine, you shall not lie. Commandment ten, you shall not covet. Or in other words, sinfully desire what someone else has.
And we know that these Ten Commandments are a summary of the entire moral law of God. What that means is that anything, every duty that God requires, and therefore every sin can be categorized as an application of one of these Ten Commandments. For example, I assume that none of you here has ever murdered anyone. But Jesus says on the Sermon on the Mount, you have heard that the ancients were told you shall not commit murder, the sixth commandment, and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court, and whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. So Jesus says that the sixth commandment, you shall not murder, even includes getting sinfully angry and losing your temper. And the same goes for every commandment. But do you remember how when someone asked Jesus uh, what was the greatest commandment, Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. So Moses gave ten commandments. And Jesus said that these Ten Commandments are summed up in two commandments, love God with your whole being and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, many people have noticed that as we look at the Ten Commandments, the first few commandments are all about loving God and the last uh, few commandments are all about loving our neighbor. And this has led us to consider that the two tablets uh, which uh, Exodus speaks of is another way of Uh, speaking of the two commandments that Jesus was speaking of. So we often say that the first table commandments are all the commandments which speak of loving God, and the the second table commandments are all those commandments which speak of loving our neighbor. And so as we get, as we begin to look at this text here in Ephesians 6, I want us to ask and answer the question, which table does this commandment belong to? Which table does the fifth commandment belong to? Well, I have to be honest that until a few weeks ago, I've always heard that this commandment belonged to the second table because it has to do with how we treat other people. So in that case, there would be four first table commandments and six second table commandments. But I want to make the case to you this morning that the fifth commandment to honor your father and your mother is actually a part of the first table of the law and is part of our duty towards God. And therefore, there are five commandments relating to our duty toward God and five commandments relating to our duty towards our neighbor. Now, that makes the engineer in me happy, but does it make the exegete in me happy? That's something that we still have yet to find out. And consider this question this morning something like an hors d'oeuvre, something to whet your appetite for the main meal. You don't have to eat it, uh, but 
it will set you up for the main course. And so we're asking this question, does the fifth commandment belong to the first table of the law or the second table of the law? And I'm proposing that it belongs to the first table of the law. To begin with, uh, I do want to say that this is not a new idea. The Jews have always divided the law into two equal halves. But biblically speaking, why should we say that the fifth commandment to honor our father and our mother belongs to our duty towards God? Well, for, for one reason, parents are divinely appointed by God to watch over their children. We see from the uh, creation account in Genesis that the family is the first divinely appointed institution. God gave Adam and Eve a command to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. He gave Eve to be a helper comparable to Adam so that together they could have children and train their children to do and to believe what the Lord had commanded them. And even though the fall of mankind brought pain and difficulty into childbearing and raising children. Nevertheless, the family remained as the most foundational of all human institutions. And therefore, Genesis established this pattern that children are under the authority of their parents until they're married or until they reach the age of marriage or until they leave the house, however it works out. And at that point, Genesis says, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Now they become the parents. Now they have authority over their children, and the cycle repeats itself. So the family is a divinely appointed institution. God gave parents authority over their children. And not only has he given parents' authority over their children, but he also gives them responsibility to train their children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. So we find in Deuteronomy 6 that after Moses gave them the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy 5, and after Moses summarized the greatest commandment to love God in Deuteronomy 6, he moves right on to the responsibility of parents to train their children. So we read in Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 7. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. So parents are put into place by God in order to act as God's representatives, teaching their children about who God is and what he requires. We saw in the book of Proverbs an example of a parent acting as God's representative to teach his son the fear and understanding of the Lord. And what's interesting is that in the book of Proverbs, the father's words are almost equated with divine wisdom, which are even capable of guiding a child into everlasting life. We also see a hint that the fifth commandment is part of the first table in Leviticus 19, verse 3, 
which combines the fifth and the fourth commandments together in the same verse. So there in Leviticus 19.3, the Lord says, Every one of you shall reverence his mother and his father, the fifth commandment, and you shall keep my Sabbaths, the fourth commandment, I am the Lord your God. We see another argument that the fifth commandment belongs to the first table of the law by looking at Romans 13 and specifically verses 1 through 7. Now there in Romans 13, Paul is speaking of the importance of submitting to governing authorities and all things lawful. But you'll notice that his argument is similar to the argument that we have been making. He says in Romans 13, Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same, for it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid. For it does not bear the sword for nothing, for it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. And then listen to what Paul says in verse 5, the next verse. He says, therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience's sake. Paul says that the government has been given authority over you by God, and therefore, as long as the government doesn't ask you to sin, you need to obey them as if you were obeying God. Paul says, be subject to them for conscience's sake. In other words, to speed or to run a red light is to sin against God and hurt your own conscience because obedience to the government belongs to our duty towards God. And it's interesting, the same thing could also be said for submitting to your elders. Hebrews 13 verse 17 says, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. In other words, as those who must give an account to God because they have been divinely appointed by God to do the work. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. In fact, if we were to take obedience to the government and obedience to the elders in the church and hang them on one of the pegs of the Ten Commandments, we'd hang them on the Fifth Commandment to honor your father and your mother. The larger catechism expounding on the Fifth Commandment asks who are meant by father and mother in the fifth commandment and the answer that they give by father and mother in the fifth commandment are meant not only natural parents but all superiors in age and gifts and especially such as by god's ordinance are over us in place of authority whether in family church or commonwealth So the Catechism lists three divinely appointed institutions, the family, 
the church and the state or the commonwealth, and the same principle applies to all. We obey parents, rulers, and elders, each within their proper spheres of authority, as long as it doesn't involve sin, as part of our duty towards God who ordained those leaders. But if all those arguments weren't enough to convince us that the fifth commandment speaks of our duty towards God, I think Romans 13, verse 9, only a few verses later in the book of Romans, is enough to convince us. Romans 13, 9, Paul is speaking of the second great commandment, to love your neighbor, and he lists five of the ten commandments, and do you know what commandment he doesn't list as part of the second table duties of love of neighbor. The, the only one that he doesn't list is the commandment to honor your father and mother. Paul says in Romans thirteen nine, and I'll be reading from the New King James because there is a textual variant here, but for the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, the seventh commandment. You shall not murder, the sixth commandment. You shall not steal the Eighth Commandment. You shall not bear false witness, the Ninth Commandment. You shall not covet, the Tenth Commandment. And if there is any other commandment, are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as as yourself, the Second Commandment that Jesus gave. But I do also think that we see that the fifth commandment is part of our duty towards God by looking even here at our passage this morning from Ephesians 6 and to the entire household code section of Ephesians. Because if we pay attention to the differences between uh, the different sections in this household code, household code section of Ephesians, uh, you'll see that wives are to submit to their husbands as to the Lord, And bondservants are to obey their earthly masters as to the Lord. But children are to obey their parents in the Lord. In other words, children don't need to obey their parents as if they were obeying the Lord because they are already obeying the Lord by obeying their parents whom God has placed over them. So children, Paul is telling you to obey your parents in the Lord, that is, as part of your devotion to God. And I recognize that that can be difficult sometimes. Sometimes it feels like life is no fun, that life is not fair, that you always have another chore that you need to do. Probably you have no idea how hard your parents work every day. But if you think it's difficult to obey your parents all the time without challenge, without excuse, and without delay, and with a cheerful attitude, I want to look at the four reasons that Paul gives you why you should obey your parents in the Lord. And you have these uh, four reasons in your outline Well, the first reason Paul gives is in verse 1, and we've already spoken of it briefly. Paul says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. The first reason he gives, uh, you could say, is gospel. You should obey your parents because of your love for the Lord. 
In other words, the command is not just the bare command, children, obey your parents, but it is a gospel command. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. And this point is very significant because it assumes that the children of believers are capable of evangelical obedience. And therefore, this passage is an important evidence for covenant theology. In fact, do you remember how Paul began this entire letter to the church in Ephesus? And how he said in the very first verse, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul in this letter was addressing the saints, not the Roman Catholic idea of particularly godly individuals, but what the word actually means, which is those who have been set apart. Paul was very clearly speaking to the visible church, to those who had been set apart by the gospel of God. And now here in Ephesians 6, he speaks directly to the children. And what that tells us is that the saints, those who have been set apart, or in other words, the visible church, consists of all those throughout the world that profess the true religion together with their children, to quote the language of the larger catechism. And that's why we in the Reformed Presbyterian Church believe very strongly in the practice of infant baptism. You see, baptism is the sign that sets apart the people of God in the new covenant. Just as circumcision set apart the people of God in the old covenant. In fact, Paul in Colossians 2 verses 11 through 12 specifically connects the new covenant sign of baptism with the old covenant sign of circumcision. He says, in him that is in Christ... You were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism. Now, if we go back to the institution of the sign of circumcision in the Old Testament, we could go all the way back to the gospel promise given to Abraham in uh, Genesis 17 where God said to Abraham, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants after you. What's significant about this promise is that the promise wasn't just that he would be a God to Abraham, but also that he would be a God to Abraham's children. And therefore, it wasn't just Abraham who was given the covenant sign of circumcision, but also his children. And when they had children, to their children also. But we see in the New Testament in Romans 11 that we have been grafted into the same gospel promise that was given to Abraham. And therefore, when we believe the same gospel promise, the same promise is held out in a special way to our children And therefore, the covenant sign is applied to our children as well. And this is really the only way to make sense of 1 Corinthians 7, verse 14, where Paul says that the unbelieving husband is sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified through her believing husband. 
for otherwise your children are unclean, but now they are holy. The word for holy is the word for saints that we read in the beginning of Ephesians. It's the word for being set apart. Paul is not saying that the children of believers are sinless, right? We would all agree. He's saying that the children of believers are set apart as members of the visible church who are expected and obligated to grow up under the means of grace, hearing the gospel preached, and to eventually believe the promise for themselves. So covenant children, the children of believers, are by definition a part of the church. Paul addresses them as saints. He doesn't feel the need to go through the fathers. He can speak directly to the children and expect the children to pay attention. And he expects and he hopes that children, the children will be able to respond with true faith even from an early age. In other words, we don't need to assume that our children are unbelievers until young adulthood. Now hear me, that doesn't mean that the children of believers are necessarily saved. In fact, Abraham's grandchildren, Jacob and Esau, were both circumcised, and yet God loved Jacob and hated Esau. The children of believers still have to be regenerated or born again, which can happen at any age. They still, if they grow to the age where they can profess faith, they have to profess faith in Christ. They still have to bear fruits that show that their profession of faith was genuine, including persevering in their faith to the end. Yet if God has truly made them born again, if God has truly given them a new heart, if God has truly put his spirit within them, they will bear good fruits. They will persevere to the end, not because of their power, but because of God's power working in them. So I'm not saying that the children of believers are automatically saved or that baptism automatically makes you born again. What I am saying is that God is a covenant-keeping God and that he ordinarily works through faithful parents, teaching their children to believe in God and to keep his commandments. The point we are making is that according to the Bible, even though we don't know the state of our children's souls, as long as they continue to profess faith, we treat them as if they are believers, while at the same time encouraging them to make uh, that faith their own. So Paul says to you children, children, obey your parents in the Lord as part of your love for God and for all that he has done for you. So children, think of everything that your parents have taught you about God. Think of how he is perfectly good, perfectly loving, perfectly holy, perfectly just and righteous. Think of how he is mighty and strong. Think of how he created this beautiful world that you enjoy playing in. Think of how he made everything you taste and smell and see and hear and touch. And then children, remember who you are. Children, you are wonderful and your parents love you very much. But you have all sinned many times, haven't you? You have all disobeyed your parents. You have all been ungrateful 
for the many blessings which you have received. And remember the two great commandments. Which of you have loved God with your whole heart or loved your neighbor as yourself every moment of every day? So because God is holy and just, he could give up on you and leave you to suffer the eternal punishment that your sins deserved. And yet because he is loving and merciful, he sent his own son into the world to suffer the punishment for your sins on the cross. So that if you only believe in him and ask God to forgive you, God will forgive all of your sins and be your God forever. And children, that's the first reason why the Bible says that you should obey your parents. Think of all that God did for you. And then in addition to everything he did for you in Jesus Christ, he also gave you parents to love you and care for you as you grow up. And he says, children, obey your parents because I have set them over you. Obey them out of love for me. The second reason he gives you to obey your parents is also in verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. In other words, Paul is making an appeal to nature. Everyone knows that it is right for children to obey their parents. We see even from nature that parents are naturally bigger and stronger than their children. And so it makes sense that they would protect and care for their children. Yet we also see that parents also know better than their children. We know that parents have a wisdom that comes from age and experience. We know that parents know how consequences work and what are the consequences of particular beliefs and actions. And even though children are able to understand a lot about the world and how it works, they also need parents to watch out for them and to guide them. And this is something that virtually every culture has recognized in every century and in every continent, that parents know what's best for their children even better than their children know what's best for them. A child might think that it would be best to eat only candy and ice cream, but a parent knows that it's important for children to have a healthy diet so that they can grow big and strong and healthy. A child might think that it would be best to go play and leave the house messy, but a parent knows that if you don't clean up your messes as you go, you will have a huge mess to clean up later. A child might think that it makes sense to stay up late, but a parent knows that they need sleep. So children, another reason for you to obey your parents is that it just makes sense. In fact, we couldn't even imagine what a world would look like if the kids were in charge of the parents. We do know that it would not last very long. Unfortunately, there are some people in our culture who want to do that very thing. There are some people today who want to give children the freedom to make their own choices about things that would have devastating consequences on their own bodies and their own mental health. And what they are essentially saying is the parent simply has to obey the child 
and the child's decision. Friends, not only is that wrong, but it is also tragic. On the contrary, Paul says it is right for children to obey their parents and not the other way around. So the second reason you should obey your parents is because of the, of the light of nature. But next, the third reason for children to obey their parents is the moral law of God. We see that in Ephesians 6, verse 2, Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. Notice uh, that the general command from the fifth commandment is to honor your father and mother, and by extension, all who are in authority. But the specific command in Ephesians 6 is for children to honor their father and mother by obeying them. And that's because Ephesians 6 is an application of the fifth commandment specifically to children. And while we always have to honor our father and our mother, there will come a time when we no longer have to obey them. As children get older, parents will naturally transition from giving them lots of specific commands to giving them more and more freedom and general principles so that they can learn to make decisions for themselves based upon the wisdom and the character that their parents have instilled in them over the course of the years. And eventually, there will come a time when the child is grown up and no longer has to obey his parents, yet he still has to honor them. Yet Paul here is speaking to children who are still under their parents' authority, and he says, you are called to honor your father and your mother as the fifth commandment requires by obeying them. And what I want you to notice here is that Paul has already given them a, a motivation to obey their parents based upon the gospel, but now he gives children a motivation to obey their parents based upon the law. And the significance of that is that for Christians, obedience to the law is never contrary to the gospel. Rather, true obedience to the law flows out of a heart that knows that it has been forgiven and in response desires to express its love and gratitude toward God by obeying him and doing what he commands. And if you think about that, even Jesus, when he was a child, obeyed his parents perfectly according to the fifth commandment. He was the only child who obeyed his parents perfectly in every respect. But even Jesus did not obey his parents so that God would love him Rather, he obeyed his parents out of his perfect love for God. And thus we read in Luke 2, verse 51, Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. Friends, it's only the wickedness of sinful hearts that thinks that we can earn God's love by keeping his commandments without a real love for God in the first place. So the third reason that children ought to obey their parents is because of the law of God. But finally, the fourth reason why children ought to obey their parents is because of the consequences of disobeying their parents. 
And I don't mean simply that if they disobey, that they will get some kind of negative consequence for their disobedience. Rather, I mean that if they habitually disobey their parents, they are setting themselves up for a life that is set on a dangerous course. In verse 2, Paul said that the fifth commandment was the first commandment with promise. In other words, the fifth commandment was unique among the Ten Commandments that it contained a specific promise of blessing for those who would obey. And here in verse 3, he reminds us of what the promise was, that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. And friends, don't we, even in our day, still find it to be true that children who don't honor their parents, beginning when they are little by obeying them, Don't we find that children who disobey their parents and dishonor their parents are often on the road from bad to worse? Children who never learn to obey their parents never learn self-control and discipline and respect of authority. They misbehave and they begin to cause trouble in school. They don't take learning seriously and therefore they never learn how to work hard and to be responsible, and they grow up unable to keep a job. They don't listen to the Father's wisdom in Proverbs, and they fall in with the wrong crowd. And like Rehoboam, they choose to listen to their peers rather than their elders. They give themselves over to countless harmful things, not realizing that they are destroying themselves. And in many cases, their lives are literally shortened because of the bad choices that they make. And in almost every case, it was because they began by not honoring and obeying their parents. That's why in the list of major sins in the New Testament, disobedience to parents is mentioned. And sadly, this kind of disobedience to parents is becoming increasingly characteristic of our age. But on the other hand, children, if you obey your parents, it will be well with you. By obeying your parents, you are learning to submit yourself to authority and ultimately to God's authority. You are learning self-control and discipline and responsibility and everything that you will need to know to grow up, to be able to start your own family and to teach your own children. So children, the final reason you ought to obey your parents is that it may go well with you and you may live long on the earth. So children, do you remember the four reasons that the Bible gives you why you should obey your parents? First, because of the gospel, because of everything that God has done for you. Second, because of the the light of nature, because it is right. Third, because of the law, because the fifth commandment tells us to. And fourth, because of the consequences, because it will be better for us if we obey our parents. But I want us to take a step back and apply the same thing to parents and to everyone else. Remember that the Bible always addresses all the people of God. It's never just wives, just husbands, just children, just bondservants, just masters, and everyone else can just sit back and relax until the Bible gets to them and it's their turn. And friends, if children ought to obey their parents as part of their duty towards God, 
because their parents have been divinely appointed by God to watch over them. Well, then shouldn't we who are under God's authority directly, shouldn't we obey God in the same way that our children ought to obey their parents? So I want to ask all of you, have you understood the joy of the gospel? Do you marvel at everything that God has done for you in Jesus Christ? And do you long to obey him in the Lord because you are loved and accepted and forgiven in Christ? Second, do you obey God because it makes sense according to the light of nature? Do you realize that it doesn't make sense for you as the creature to say to God, I know a better way? Do you understand that you are much, much, much smaller than he? Do you truly know that he is much, much, much wiser than we Perhaps you wanted something really badly and you thought it made sense that God should give it to you. Perhaps you wanted a favorable diagnosis. Perhaps you wanted some good news. Perhaps you wanted some rest from your weariness. And when you don't get it, your first instinct is to tell God why you're confused and sad and God, why didn't you answer my prayer? Don't you know how much I need it? Don't you know how much better it would be if I got whatever it was that I wanted? God, I know what's best for me. Why aren't you letting me have it? But don't you eventually get to the point where you say, you let it all go and you say, no, Lord, you know what's best for me. You are the creator, I am the creature. You know what's good for me more than I do. I will submit myself to your will. Your will be done, my treasures in heaven, from which I await a savior. Next, do you obey God simply because he has commanded it in his law? Without asking, do I like it, do I not like it? Rather, what does God's word teach? And whatever it teaches, Lord, help me to obey it. And finally, do you trust that when you obey God, that there will be good consequences? That it will be well for us and that God truly desires what is best for us? Perhaps through much suffering in this life and even ultimately through the valley of the shadow of death, do you know that our days will be long in the heavenly inheritance to which we are headed. Well, the truth is that none of us on our own obeys God this way. By nature, we are all children of our father, the devil. By nature, we are all alienated from God and illegitimate sons. By nature, we can't obey in the Lord. We don't love the Lord. By nature, we worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. We want to be our own gods. We want to determine what's best for us. By nature, we are all lawbreakers. We neither love God nor our neighbor. We break all Ten Commandments every moment of every day. We are murderers and adulterers at heart. By nature, we deserved death. We deserved a short life. We deserved be snuffed out on the day that Adam ate the fruit 
he deserved to die. And by nature, we deserve to die every day. The truth is that there is only one perfect Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. There is only one only begotten Son who obeyed the Father out of the perfect love that he had for the Father, even to the point of death, even death on the cross. John 14, 30 and 31, Jesus is telling his disciples that he is going to the cross and he says to them, I will not speak much more with you for the ruler of the world is coming and he has nothing in me. But so that the world may know that I love the father, I do exactly as the father commanded me. Get up, let us go from here. There was only one only begotten son who obeyed the father according to his human nature, perfectly submitting his human will to the will of his father. And saying in the garden of Gethsemane, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. There is only one only begotten son who obeyed the father by being perfectly obedient to the, to the law of God, saying again and again when Satan tempted him, it is written. And there is only one only begotten son who obeyed the father and earned the reward of everlasting life, which Adam had forfeited. Acts 2.24, but God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. Yet, friends, the amazing news of the gospel is that we who have been disobedient, who have proven ourselves to be illegitimate children and children rather of our father, the devil, that through Christ we can be counted as children of God. We believe that Christ came to die for our sins. Christ's filial obedience becomes our filial obedience. And God the Father looks on you and me as a true child of God. John 16, verse 27. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came forth from the Father. In 1 John 3, 1. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us, because it did not know him. We receive all the liberties and privileges that belong to the children of God. So then if we are in Christ, we are a child of God, and God is our heavenly Father. And he gives us the spirit of adoption. And what does Paul say in Romans 8? For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. And therefore, as adopted children of God, let us obey him as we would have our children obey us. In the light of the gospel, out of love for God and everything that he has done for us in Christ. In the light of nature, knowing that God is in heaven and we are on earth and that his ways are higher than our ways. In the light of the law, seeking to do that which is pleasing to him according to his revealed will. 
and in the light of the glorious hope that we have of long life, everlasting life in the presence of our Heavenly Father. Pray with me now. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your many great and precious promises. Lord, we thank you that your promises are not only for us, but for our children, that you not only love us, but also, Lord, those whom we love. Lord, we pray that you would uh, give us renewed hearts, hearts of children who uh, long to obey you in light of the gospel, uh, not Uh, not in slavish fear trying to earn your love, but as a result of the love that you have already poured out on our hearts through Jesus Christ. So help us even this week to walk as children of God, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.